0: Well, hey there all my future paleontologists, I hope everybody is doing well. It is so good to, uh, to be doing another podcast, this one's going to be fun. Before we get started, I've got to do a shout out to all the individual schools that I have done uh, virtual lessons for this past week and coming up in the next day or two. So the first goes out to Miller Elementary, which is located in Arlington, uh, Texas, and I've done a bunch for the, for Miller Elementary. I'm doing three more of them. I've done some uh, earlier this week, and I'm doing three more tomorrow, I think, or Friday. So I'll be seeing the entire school each grade, which is fun. I spoke to a group, uh, at Ellison Residential Organization. That is a development where the homeowners all participate in this organization. It's in Houston, Texas, and they were kind enough to let me come in and do a lesson for all of the residents in that area. A group, a lot of fun. Then Hart Elementary in Lucas, Texas, had a lot of fun with the students at Hart Elementary. Had a great time. And I really enjoyed last night. I was invited to be part of Adams Hill Elementary in San Antonio for their science night. They had a, a virtual science night. I had such a great time. It was really a lot of fun. Hidden Forest Elementary in San Antonio, doing some shows for them. Sontag Elementary in Frisco, Texas. I'm doing a bunch of shows for them. Then Maid Creek in Houston. I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to be seeing their students. I'm going to be seeing the students at Phillips Elementary later this week in Frisco, Texas. And then Riddle Elementary in Plano, Texas. Doing a lot of Texas schools this, this particular week. But we do schools anywhere, any country, any time zone. So the only thing I can't do is I can't speak foreign languages. So if you would like uh, like me to do a lesson for your school or your daycare if you're really young, or even if you just want one for yourself, I hope you will consider uh, having me come in and do a virtual lesson because for me it is a lot of fun so let's uh, let me catch my breath real quick and then we will get right into the feature creature) oh. Now you can bring Dinosaur George into your classroom, home or facility anywhere in the world with our virtual lessons. We offer over 15 different topics including dinosaurs, prehistoric mammals, rocks and minerals and more. Any age, any location and any time zone. Visit us at dinosaurgeorge.com. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at DinosaurGeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. Hey, before I talk about today's feature creature, I just want to mention something that came across my desk this morning. We have just hit 10,000 downloads of our podcast. Very excited about that. You know, uh, at the end of January, we were thrilled because we had just reached 6,000 downloads. Well, now here we are in uh, what is today. Today is uh, February 10th, and we've now reached 10,000. So I'm so happy about that. And I hope all of you are enjoying the podcast. I hope you like it. And you know, what really helps us a lot is when you tell your family and friends about the podcast, because that adds new listeners. And the more listeners we get, the more time I can focus on doing the podcast. See, when I do these podcasts, I have to fit them in my schedule. And so to make them a priority, we have to have a lot of listeners. And so I'm very, very happy. So 10,000. That's a lot of, that's a lot of listeners. So I really appreciate you listening. All right. So today's feature creature is baryonyx. Boy, a lot of you love baryonyx. I had so many people asking me questions about baryonyx. That's why I chose today's subject. I've got some great subject suggestions. People are sending in really good subject suggestions. But I decided to go with Baryonyx for this lesson or this this podcast because it's so cool. And I know a lot of you really like this dinosaur. So let's talk about Baryonyx. Now, the name Baryonyx in English means heavy claw. It was discovered in 1983 by a, a plumber that lived in Britain, in England, a plumber. And he, not, not that there's anything amazing about that, but um, he he was an amateur paleontologist. He loved to collect fossils. And so uh, this man named William Walker happened to find this big claw. And it was broken into pieces, which is very common when we find fossils. And so Mr. Walker took it home and put it all back together and found out that the tip was missing. So he went back to where he had found it and spent hours and finally found the tip of that claw, which is really exciting. And he found some other bones. So what was cool about it is uh, they took it to the Natural History Museum in London, and that's where paleontologists were able to look at it, and they identified it as the claw of a theropod dinosaur. And after that, they found more of him, and so Baryonyx quickly became a very important fossil in uh, in in the uh, history of of the um, European dinosaurs because it was pretty complete. It was a fairly complete dinosaur. So, so much great information was found by somebody who happened to find the fossil and then did the right thing and took it to a museum. And because it, see, if he hadn't taken it to the museum to share it then it might have never seen, nobody may have ever known to go there and look for the rest of it. It may have been lost to science. It may have been sitting on a shelf. That claw could have sat on a shelf and nobody would have known what it belonged to. So we're very fortunate in science that um, it ultimately found its way into the Natural History Museum of London, where British paleontologists were able to look at it and figure out what it was. So what was it? Well listen, this was a this was a, a pretty large dinosaur. Uh, the the estimates of how big it was fully grown. Now now here's a problem. When they found when they excavated the baryonic specimen, when they found the original specimen, it didn't appear like it was a, an adult. See, there's ways paleontologists can look at the bones and tell you if you're looking at an adult or a baby or a teenager. There's ways to look at the bone and help figure out. It's the same thing with forensic science today with human skeletons. When a human skeleton is found, forensic scientists can look at it and they can tell you that was a male or a female. They can tell you whether it was an adult or a teenager or a juvenile by looking at the bones. Well, paleontologists can do the same thing with bones of dinosaurs. So the estimate of size doesn't mean this is how big the one they found was. This is how big they believe it may have been able to grow. Well, how do they do that? Well, they compare it to other specimens of similar or the same dinosaurs. And that helps them figure out. It's like when somebody gives you the estimate of Tyrannosaurus rex, that's based on how big we think they can be. It doesn't mean that's how big they were. They could have been bigger. They may have been smaller. but. We can look at the biggest one and say, well, we know they get this big. And based on the age of this one, maybe they got a little bigger. So that's what they did with baryonyx. Now, the size estimates are anywhere between 7.5 and 10 meters. That means 25 to 33 feet. That's big. That's a huge animal. And it's proposed to weigh 2,700 pounds. That's that's big. That's like one, 1.2 tons. That's a very, very large animal. And it's got a great big long snout, sort of like a, sort of like a, a gharial. If you've ever seen a gharial, a gharial is an animal. It, it's like a crocodilian with an incredibly long skinny nose. In fact, it has a skull that looks very much like Spinosaurus. And why does it look so much like Spinosaurus? Because it's from the same family. Baryonyx fits into the family of Spinosauridae. That's the name of the family where all the Spinosaurids fit, like Irritator, Spinosaurus itself, Suchomimus. Those are all members of that family. Paleontologists put animals into groups by similarities, things that are similar. So the reason why Baryonyx's skull, looks so much like a Spinosaurus skull is because they're very closely related. They have that hook at the end of their nose, sort of a rounded little hook. Their teeth on their bottom jaw at the front are super long, but then get really tiny towards the back of the jaw. The teeth in the upper jaw at the very tip are curved back and very long. And this is a very unique thing to Spinosaurids. You don't see other dinosaurs with those strange looking jaws and teeth, especially with the long skinny nose. So the reason why it has those teeth and that skull is because of its diet. Let's talk about its diet in just a minute. First, we want to talk about when it lived. Now, this is a dinosaur that lived in the early Cretaceous period between about 140 to 112 million years ago. This is way long before Tyrannosaurus rex. And I only reference Tyrannosaurus rex because you all know what a T-Rex is. So I just want you to understand the time. This is a relatively early dinosaur for the Cretaceous period. And this is a dinosaur that certainly has all of the unusual features of a Spinosaurus. In fact, some paleontologists believe that it may have had some kind of hump on its back. The reason why I say may have is because the the bones that have been found, they've never found the complete backbone. They found pieces and parts. And based on its cousins, like Suchomimus and Spinosaurus, They all have a raised ridge, or in the case of Spinosaurus, they actually have a full-blown sail. So it may be very possible that if you were to travel back in time and see Baryonyx, you might see that it has a sail. It may not be as big as the sail on Spinosaurus, but it may have been a ridge or a sail, Kind of like the ridge you see on Acrocanthosaurus. This dinosaur isn't related to Acro, but Acrocanthosaurus had a ridged, a raised ridge. What's the function of that ridged? We can't say for certain. But let's talk about its diet, and therefore let's talk about where it lived and where it spent its time. When you're guessing at what an animal ate, you usually do that by first looking at its teeth. The the tooth of a dinosaur will help you understand its diet. Second, you look at fossils from the same general area of all the different kinds of plants and animals that live there. And from those fossils, you can sort of make a hypothesis, that's an educated guess, of what it was eating. For instance, if I find the of a carnivore and around the same area I find lots of bones of duck-billed dinosaurs, then it would be a good guess for me to, to hypothesize that they were eating hadrosaurs. But in the case of baryonyx, we've got much better evidence. They actually found within the stomach region, that means it's where its tummy was, Fish scales. Well, hey, that's a great way to know what it eats. So you look at the long skinny snout, those oversized teeth in the front, that hooked jaw. Those all are perfect for catching and holding on to fish. And then you find the scales of the fish inside the stomach area and you can say, aha, we have a Pescavore. That's the word that means, or piscivore. I always say piscivore. Piscivore. That means an animal that eats fish. An Insectivore it eats insects. A Carnivore eats meat. An Herbivore eats plants. A piscivore eats fish. So here they find fish scales in the stomach area of the specimen. Now, somebody said, well, what if that fish just after the baryonyx died, maybe it died in the water and maybe a fish like died and ended up in the area where its stomach was. Well, the reason we know that's not the case is because if all of the skin had rotted off of that baryonyx, then the fish, when it was, if it had died in its rib cage, we would have found the bones of it as well. But because the baryonyx ate the fish before it died, those bones were dissolved. The scales didn't dissolve. The bones were dissolved by its stomach acid. And so that's how we know that was its meal. So we're all excited because we've got a fish-eating dinosaur. But I just told you this thing was maybe 10 meters or 33 feet long. Are you really that big and you're only going to eat fish? Well, guess what? Also, they found the bones of a juvenile iguanodontid inside of its stomach area. (laughs) So what does that mean? That means that it ate a young iguanodon-type dinosaur. I said iguanodontid because they can't identify it for certain, but they know it's from the iguanodon family. So baryonyx is not sitting around, eating fish. Fish may be its diet, but so was anything else that it was, that it was big enough to kill. So baryonyx isn't just a fish eater, my friends. It ate at least one juvenile iguanodon. And when you look at the weapons of this dinosaur, this gigantic thumb claw, they've got three claws, but it's the thumb that's giant. That big meat hook... Is perfect for grabbing anything, but it certainly appears that when you look at the shape of its body and the shape of its skull, it's probably spending the majority of its time eating fish, eating turtles, eating little crocodiles, probably catching pterosaurs. Anything that it could catch, it's probably going to eat. So then, that brings us to the question: Well, what then? How did it fish? You know, we talk about how they fish, and some scientists believe that dinosaurs like Baryonyx and Suchomimus and Spinosaurus actually swam through the water looking for prey, sort of like like a like a shark almost swimming moving its head from side to side. Some people suggest that it may have had sensory uh, uh, organs in its nose. It may have been able to pick up the slight electrical field of anything alive in the water. Some scientists believe that it may have been able to sense that. And therefore, it may have been able to swim around and grab prey in, in darkness or in real muddy, dirty water. Other scientists believe that that would take too much energy. And so they may have been better standing in water, maybe up to their knees, where they're just leaned over and watching for anything that swims by. And when it does, Sukhum, I mean, a baryonyx could slam its head into the water with its mouth open, snap those jaws shut quickly, and grab whatever swam by. It doesn't mean every single fish that swims by is going to be caught. Most predators are not very successful. It takes, they may kill, they may catch a fish one time out of 10 tries. But that may be how it hunted. So if it's standing in the water, now if any of you listened to my podcast on Spinosaurus, I told you that when an animal is in the water, the water is stealing away the body heat. It's stealing away the heat. And so you have to get that heat replaced back into your body. So on Spinosaurus, my suggestion is the sail was doing that. It was capturing the sun. But if Baryonyx doesn't have a great big sail, if he has sort of a hump, is that enough to be able to catch sunlight to stay warm? Well, my opinion is yes. Clearly this dinosaur was successful. Clearly this dinosaur... Uh, made a living doing what it did. So it's not up for us to say that didn't work. It's for us to say, why did it work? So my little scientist, as you continue to read books and study, don't just read something and say, well, that must be it. You can question things that you that you read. But always remember your job is to look at the evidence And make a decision on the evidence of what you think. The hardest thing about prehistoric life is that their behavior doesn't always fossilize. And what I mean by that is that they don't always, you can't always tell how the animal was acting, how it behaved, what it did. You can't always tell from the fossil bones. So you look at where it lived, you look at the what the area was like where it was discovered, and from there you figure out what this thing was doing. All I can tell you is that I find baryonyx to be an absolutely amazing animal that we know ate fish, but that we also know you weren't safe when a baryonyx was around, and I say that because a poor iguanodontid found out the hard way all right let's do a couple of ask dg questions do you have any questions about dinosaurs just ask dinosaur george You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at DinosaurGeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. This first question is from Luke from Bora Bora, French Polynesia. Luke says, I'm four years old. Dinosaurs are my favorite thing in the world. I've memorized all of my books and I love listening to your podcast. I am so glad, Luke, that you listened to my podcast on the beautiful island of Bora Bora. What a a great thing. I'm so happy to hear that. So Luke says, I would like to ask you if chickens existed at the time of dinosaurs, because I once saw a video that had a chicken and a dinosaur together. I live on an island. Do you think there are dinosaur fossils on islands, too? Okay, first Luke, to your last question. Are there there fossils on islands, dinosaur fossils? Yes, there are. Absolutely there are. Islands like Madagascar. See, at some point, islands sometimes may have been connected to the mainland. And over time and through tectonic plates, they can get separated apart. So, there could be dinosaurs living on that part of the mainland, but over time, it becomes an island, and the dinosaurs are still living on it, so we still find their bones. Now, in the case of Bora Bora, I don't know for sure how old those islands are. If they were created by volcanoes, those islands may not have been around during the age of dinosaurs. So you may not find dinosaur bones on them, but if they did exist during the age of dinosaurs, if they were created during the age of dinosaurs, if that, if that island was formed, then you have the possibility of finding pterosaurs because they could fly there. And if there were other islands close by, you may have had island hopping dinosaurs, meaning they go from island to island. They swim to get to the next one in search of food. So it's certainly possible. You should look up, Luke, and find out how old your islands are. Now to your questions about chickens. Chickens themselves didn't actually exist with dinosaurs. If you saw chickens in a video, it's to demonstrate to you that chickens are related to dinosaurs. They usually show chickens because everybody in the world knows what a chicken is. So if they pick some strange bird, nobody would know what that bird would be. So they use chickens. Now, there were not, the actual chicken doesn't come along till millions of years later, but there were birds living with the dinosaurs. They just weren't chickens. Luke, thank you for listening on the beautiful island of Bora Bora. Okay, uh, let's see. Aria, age nine, from San Antonio. Why did the asteroid hit the Earth? What Aria's talking about is, and I taught in her, I did a virtual lesson for her school, so she's asking me about the asteroid. Okay, at the end of the age of dinosaurs, a very large asteroid struck the Earth. Why did it come to Earth? It didn't really come to Earth. Asteroids are flying through space all over the, all over the uh, universe. They're flying everywhere. And sometimes, just out of coincidence, they happen to be on a collision course with our planet. They run into things all the time. They run into each other. They run into the sun. They burn up. Some of them hit the moon. That happens all the time. It just happened to be coincidence where it hit the earth. Tough coincidence for the dinosaurs, but that's how. Okay. Zane, age 10, also from San Antonio. Was there anything that lived in the ocean bigger than Megalodon? Yes, Zane, there were things bigger than Megalodon there were definitely whales that were longer than it was. There were, now if you're talking about at the time, there was also giant squid that were probably longer. But if you're talking about in all of history, there were some gigantic animals. There may have been fish, a, a big a filter feeding fish, the name escapes me right now, but it was probably bigger than Megalodon. Megalodon wasn't the biggest thing in the ocean but it was one of, if not the biggest predators in the ocean. All right, Graham, age nine from Lucas, Texas. Thank you for your show at Hart Elementary. I hope you'll get to dig fossils again. Thanks. And I hope to get to see you again. Graham, what a polite thing. You didn't ask a question. You just wanted to say thank you for me coming to your school. What a, what a polite thing to do. Um, I enjoyed your school very, very much, Graham. And I hope you and your classmates enjoyed it as well. Okay. As a matter of fact, speaking about Hart Elementary, these next questions come from Miss Herbert's homeroom class. She's a third grade teacher in Lucas, Texas, and this is from Hart Elementary. So, Mrs. Herbert, here we go. What is the smallest fossil I've ever found? Well, the smallest fossil that I ever found. It, just talking about fossils. Let me think. What would be the tiny? Yeah, the tiniest thing I think I ever found was a tiny little tooth from what I think was a little duck-billed dinosaur called Edmontosaurus. It must have been a baby. It must have been a newborn because it was luck. I only found it. I picked up a bunch of dirt and I put it in a bag, and I was looking at it through a microscope to look for microfossils, and that tiny little tooth is the thing I think would be the smallest. Another question from her classroom. What was the hardest fossil you ever dug up? Ooh, the hardest fossil I ever dug up was a sauropod vertebra. A sauropod is a big long-necked dinosaur. It was one that came from Utah. I found it in Utah. It was in solid rock. I spent four days just trying to chisel the rock to get that bone out. It was one vertebra, and it was so hard. The rock was so hard. I was able to get it out of the rock, and it took me almost two years to use my tools to clean it up and get that hard rock off of it. It was a nightmare. Okay, another question from her classroom. What was the cutest dinosaur? Well, that depends on what you think is cute. I think little baby ankylosauruses were incredibly cute. Some people think they're ugly. I think they're cute. Come on, baby ankylosaur. Who wouldn't love that dinosaur? Uh, But there was other dinosaurs. There was one called Leolinosaurus, had real big eyes. She was probably, it was probably a very cute little dinosaur. Okay, what was the top speed for the fastest dinosaur? Whoa, This is a good question, too. Um, One of the problems with estimating speed is all we have to go on are footprints. And we don't always know who the footprints belong to. So we have to know how long their legs were to be able to estimate speed. And then the problem becomes, what if the footprints we found, maybe that dinosaur wasn't running as fast as it could. Maybe it was just running. Now, we can also estimate the speed by the legs. We can there's, there's a scientific or a mathematical formula that helps us estimate speed just by the skeleton, not by the footprints, by the skeleton. So dinosaurs like the Mimus family um, and Ceramimus, Struthiomimus, Gallimimus, those were probably the fastest dinosaurs. And they may have been able to run, I don't know, 50 miles an hour maybe, which is very fast. Okay, let's see. How many dinosaurs remain on Earth? Well, if we're including birds, there's billions. But if you want to talk about how many dinosaur bones still remain, the answer is billions as well. There are so many dinosaur bones out there to be found. There's not one of you. If you decided to become a paleontologist, none of you will ever run out of bones to dig up. There will always be dinosaur bones to dig up. We'll be finding dinosaurs for thousands of years. All right. When did you begin your career as Dinosaur George? Well, that's a a great question, too. I started my business in 1997, and a young boy that used to always come into my store would always call me Dinosaur George. That's the name he called me. And that name stuck. And after that, people just started calling me Dinosaur George. So I started in 1997. The year is 2021. So if you are good at math, you try to figure it out. But That's a great question. Okay. Uh, are the blue whale and Mosasaurs cousins? Another great question. Uh, Miss Herbert, you've got such intelligent students. They are not related really at all. Mosasaurs are reptiles. The blue whale, those are mammals. So they come from totally different families. They live in the same environment, which is the ocean, but that's really the only relationship that they have. Mosasaurs have long tails like a a snake. And whales have a big flat tail, a fluke, big giant flat tail. So there's so many differences that they're not really cousins, but they do inhabit the same area. Finally, for Mrs. Herbert's homeroom class in third grade, where do you find your research? Well, there's a number of places that you get research from. Uh, Books. I read lots of books, obviously online, but also by speaking to other paleontologists, I sit down and talk to them all the time and we share, uh, we share studies and ideas and, and with people who just love dinosaurs. You don't have to be a paleontologist to love dinosaurs. I don't consider myself a paleontologist. Sometimes it sounds like I do, but I don't really because I didn't go to college to become a degreed paleontologist. Now, I can tell you, I can sit down with probably any paleontologist and speak intelligently about any subject because I study all the time but I just didn't get my degree. So you don't have to be a degreed paleontologist to be able to know something about the subject. So I get my information from paleontologists, from other people like myself who just love dinosaurs, by reading articles online, by uh, watching any show I can, and then by reading. So thank you all, Miss Herbert's class. I hope you guys enjoyed my my show. Okay, uh, Michael, age eleven, from New, uh, from uh, uh, Australia. Ah, my buddy from Australia. Dear Dinosaur George, I have been listening to the podcast, and I've decided to make my own newspaper about dinosaurs for the town's kids. Great! And I listen to your podcast. Uh, there are so many questions. Um, what was the largest dinosaur? Thanks for the podcast. Well. First of all, Michael, very happy to hear that you're going to put together a paper for all the kids in your area, all the kids in your town. I'm so glad. And I think you're from New South Wales, I believe is where you're from. Um, I think that's a great idea. What a great idea. Um, so the largest dinosaurs. Well, it's always a it's always a challenge. What was or who was the largest? I'm still gonna say it's Argentinosaurus only because there's been enough evidence, in my opinion, to support. That it is the largest. It is certainly possible that there were bigger ones, but in my opinion, that one would be the biggest. And finally, one of our Patreon members, Brandon says Were baby dinosaurs born with teeth? And did they have baby teeth that they lost similar to how people lose their teeth? Wow! Good one, Brandon. And just like I said, when one of uh, Miss Herbert's classmates asked what the tiniest fossil I ever found, yes dinosaurs were born with their teeth. Carnivores were born with little carnivore teeth. Herbivores seem to all be born with their teeth. So it looks like all dinosaurs are born with their teeth. And they happen to be just like the teeth of an adult. They're just small. But like an adult, they grow and replace their teeth throughout their whole life. So with people, we're born with baby teeth and we lose those teeth and we grew no one, we grew, we grow new ones back. But then that's it for us. We don't get to lose them anymore. Well, in the case of dinosaurs, they don't have problems like that. They lose their teeth throughout their whole life. Maybe in their lifetime, maybe they lose a thousand or more teeth. How crazy would that be? Maybe more than that. So, yes, Brendan, they are, Brandon, they are born with teeth. But the only difference is they never run out. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind the scene access and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops? You choose the animals and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win we've got some great battles today my friends prepare yourself because these are going to get a little crazy first if you want to submit a who would win question you have to be a tyrannosaurus member of the patreon club we have three different patreon clubs one that costs a dollar a month That's called the Triceratops Club. You get to get one free lesson a month with the Triceratops Club. The next level is called the Raptor Club. It's $5 a month. With that one, you get two lessons each month plus behind-the-scenes information. And then the top-level club is the Tyrannosaurus Club. You can live anywhere in the world and be a member of the Tyrannosaurus Club. You get two lessons, and by the way, if you're not able to join us for the lessons, they are recorded and put onto Patreon, and you can watch them whenever you want. So if you can't do it because you live in a, on a different continent in a different time zone, you can still watch them through your Patreon page. So if you are a Tyrannosaurus Rex member, you get to submit a Who Would Win challenge. So first member... Is Hennessy, my little friend Hennessy, who I've known for years. Hennessy has come in and worked in my traveling museum in the past. So, Hennessy has an interesting one Titanoboa versus Allosaurus. Woo. Now, Titanoboa is the giant snake. It's got a lot going for it, it's got incredible squeeze power. This thing could crush, could crush our bones. Titanoboa is enormous. Allosaurus is no slouch. Allosaurus is 35 feet long. That's, that's, that's big. I mean, that's a big dude. That is a very big animal. That's, that's 10 meters long. Allosaurus is big. And so Allosaurus, of course, has a mouthful of those teeth and those big claws. Titanoboa is not going to attempt to eat Allosaurus because it could never get its jaws wide enough to fit the sheer body size down. But would it fight an Allosaurus? You better believe it. Let's say Titanoboa laid eggs. Maybe Titanoboa protects its eggs, and an Allosaurus thinks those eggs are going to be an easy meal. Titanoboa isn't going to run for cover. It's going to stand its ground. It's a huge snake. Or maybe Allosaurus thinks Titanoboa will be a good meal. A constrictor, that's an animal that squeezes things to death, a constrictor doesn't have to squeeze you to death to eat you. It can decide to get rid of you. Maybe it knows it can't. So in the case of Allosaurus versus Titanoboa, if Titanoboa is able to wrap a couple of wraps around it, in other words, if it can loop its body three or four times around Allosaurus, I personally believe that it would have the strength to squeeze the Allosaurus's chest so hard Allosaurus simply could not expand its lungs and would suffocate. Titanoboa is not going to attempt to eat it. Because if it gets half of that Allosaurus down its throat, it's going to have a hard time spitting it back up. So if these animals are going to fight, Titanoboa is going to fight for its life. Allosaurus is going to fight for a meal. Now, if Allosaurus is able to grab Titanoboa and shake it from side to side, uses big, strong neck muscles. Have you ever ever seen the way a dog shakes a toy? If Allosaurus can do that, Titanoboa is doomed. So I'm going to say that it would be more likely that Titanoboa is going to come out the winner against my beloved Allosaurus. All right, Milo. Ooh, another Allosaurus. Man, you guys are big with Allosaurus this time. Milo wants to know Allosaurus versus a pack of dire wolves. Size and weight versus speed and intellect. I like this battle. In one corner, we have, again, Allosaurus, three tons, 33 to 35 feet long, relatively fast, big claws on its feet, claws on its hands, mouth full of teeth. A dire wolf would not stand a chance if Allosaurus lands a single bite or a swipe of those arms. Dire wolf is not going to stand a chance. But what dire wolves have is they are pack hunters. They know how to do what they do. One's going to stand directly in front of Allosaurus and do mock charges. So Allosaurus is watching it. Dire wolves are going to come from all sides. Allosaurus is going to be hard-pressed to keep away that many attackers. Let's say there's six dire wolves. But it's going to be a battle of attrition. And what I mean by that is one by one, Allosaurus is going to pick them off. Allosaurus is going to be the victor, even though the dire wolves did their best. The only thing they can do is bite its ankles and legs. And they don't have the jaw strength to cut through the thick hide. They're certainly going to injure it, But they're not going to take it down. So, Allosaurus, in my opinion, wins this battle. All right, Jeremy and Levi came up with. Oh, look at this. Baryonyx versus Allosaurus. Ah, perfect timing, boys. Jeremy and Levi, perfect timing. We've already talked about Baryonyx being better suited for fish, but certainly having the capability of killing another animal. But in the case of Allosaurus, it's designed to take on big prey all the time. So Allosaurus is more of a brute. Baryonyx is more of a finesse hunter, meaning it's quick, it's snap, That jaws, those jaws snap quick. But those jaws are not made for grappling with something big. Allosaurus, on the other hand, makes its living killing big things. So it knows how to use its weapon. It knows what it is. Unfortunately, even though they're the same sized animal, and Baryonyx definitely has a big thumb claw, Allosaurus has big thumb claws too. Allosaurus's hands are massive. So they are equally sized, but other than that, I'm going to give this fight to Allosaurus because Allosaurus is used to fighting big animals. And that is gives it an advantage all right sean triceratops versus therizinosaurus love this one man love this one let's think about it we've got triceratops weighing in at three or four maybe five tons 25 feet long massively big horns and the thing about triceratops is those horns point straight wherever it's looking so as long as it's looking at you, its weapons are looking at you, and that makes it dangerous. Because all it has to do is charge at you. It doesn't have to close its eyes. It doesn't have to put its head down. It's charging at you in its normal stance. That's the way it walks. Therefore, it's got complete control of those weapons. Therizinosaurus, not going to be very fast. Going to be kind of a plotting animal, but those weapons, those claws on its hands are enormous. It is the Freddy Krueger of the dinosaur world. It is the Wolverine of the dinosaur world. This thing's claws are huge, and they could inflict incredible injuries. Its arms are long enough, in my opinion, that if it was standing directly in front of the Triceratops, it could lean over far enough to reach behind that frill and inflict some massive injuries. But Triceratops is not going to stand still and let it do it. I believe Triceratops could spin around faster. It could pivot on its front legs and spin around with its back legs. I believe Triceratops outguns Therizinosaurus in weight, in speed, and in weapons. And yes, Therizinosaurus has some nasty weapons, but it is Triceratops that comes out ahead on this particular one. That is my opinion, that it is Triceratops who comes out ahead. And finally, Lauren wants to know, Indominus Rex and Indoraptor versus T-Rex and the raptors from Jurassic Park, Raptor Blue. Whoa, you've got a tag team match going on. You've got a tag team match. Indominus Rex and Indoraptor They are both larger. Well, Indominus Rex is bigger than T-Rex. Indoraptor is bigger than Raptor Blue. So right off the bat, they have size on their side. Next comes weapons. They all have weapons. All four of these fighters have weapons. T-Rex has brute strength. Raptor Blue has intellect, meaning incredibly smart. But I don't think... Think they are going to survive the tag team of Indominus and Indo. I believe those two are simply too much for T Rex and Raptor Blue. I just don't think that they would be able to survive. Unfortunately, I just don't think they could survive. All right, my friends, I don't have time to interview a um, Tyrannosaurus member for this particular podcast, but I will be interviewing more. If you would like the chance to submit a who would win, or you would like the chance to be chosen to be interviewed on one of my next podcasts, I hope you will go to dinosaurgeorge.com and you can find where to sign up for the Patreon club. Remember, if you'd like for me to speak to your friends and classmates, make sure to tell your teachers about our website, dinosaurgeorge.com, and they can get all the information there. I hope you are all safe. I hope you're taking care of your friends and your families and being kind to everybody. The greatest thing about this podcast is you. You guys make it all worthwhile. There are so many young men and women on this podcast that I am so happy to have all of you with me. And I hope you share it with all of your friends because the more people that listen, the more podcast episodes I can create. Until next time, my friends, take care, everybody. And I'll talk to you soon.